Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM, and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into this great call that we have to witness to our faith. Now, it is Holy Week, and I have been getting a number of questions about this call we have to uh, offer up our sufferings, and, uh, you know, where is this at in sacred scripture? So, what I thought we would do is just offer up a brief reflection on Colossians 1.24, and then really go back into a couple of church fathers, which will really have us rekindling some subject matter uh, discussed back in May. You know, every Tuesday we take up uh, the church fathers, the great Christian thinkers, and in May we were talking about primarily the apostolic fathers, specifically St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Clement of Rome, and the figure we will talk about this evening, Polycarp of Smyrna. So we will be rekindling some of that subject matter. So the passage we want to read here is Colossians 1.24. This is Paul writing to the church of Colossia. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the divine office which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Okay, so this language of my sufferings. You know, here Paul is speaking to his many afflictions that he endured throughout his uh, missionary career. Now, the phrase that has many people asking questions, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? What's going on there? Well, the suffering that remains for believers in the trials of life, right? I mean, suffering is a mission for all the faithful as a means of conforming ourselves to Jesus Christ. And certainly, as Paul speaks to it, suffering is a special calling for ministers of the gospel like Paul, who endure many afflictions in the effort to bring salvation to others. Now, these words, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, could be easily misunderstood to mean that the suffering of Christ was not sufficient for redemption and that the suffering of the saints must be added to complete it. This, however, and I'm <clears throat> drawing from St. Thomas Aquinas here, would be obviously heretical. Christ and the church are one mystical person, and while the merits of Christ, the head, are infinite, the saints and those who follow Christ acquire merit in a limited degree. What is lacking then pertains to the afflictions of the entire church, to which Paul adds his own amount. That is to say, my friends, that in our Lord's suffering, in our Lord's passion, he did not give us an antidote that would actually remove suffering. No, he gives us the grace that infuses our suffering with redemptive power when we offer it up to God, huh? This is what lies at the heart of Colossians 1.24. 
I know if you're one of those out there who are asking uh, the question about Colossians 1 and 24, we really do need to focus in on that great truth that comes to us from Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, that our very lives are called to be a holy and acceptable offering to God, our spiritual worship, as Paul talks about it. I mean, if you were to pull back here, consider, if you were a parent, does it not bring you great joy to see one of your children making a number of sacrifices for maybe another one of your children? Do you not want to pour out more goodness and generosity upon your children when they do that? This is what God the Father is doing. He sees our offering. He sees our offering, and He rejoices. And when we intentionally give it to Him as a kind of atonement for those around us who are in need of His goodness and His grace, this is the way in which we share in the building up of the mystical body of Christ. So important. Now, I mentioned off the top the church fathers. Before I get too far into taking for granted that we know what this language is, church fathers, if you have not been tuning in on Tuesday evening, let us just briefly consider what we're talking about here. You know, many books tell the story of the first Christian centuries as a succession of creeds and councils and persecutions and heresies. But what we were made to see is that it was far more than that, and quite frankly, I dare say, far more interesting. It was the story of a family, and how the fathers of that family strove to keep their household together, to preserve the family's patrimony, to teach and to discipline their children, and to protect the family from danger. Only when we begin to understand them as fathers can we truly understand what we intend to mean as Christians and Catholics when we start using the language of church fathers. And let me remind you, my dear friends, if you are a non-Catholic, these fathers are your fathers. I am talking about the first Christians that were laying down their life, and certainly we're going to get into a couple of them this evening. So the fathers of the church are a select group of early Christian teachers, around a hundred in number, that have long been revered for the way in which they witnessed to their faith and their holiness, the way in which they guarded the truths of the faith, and certainly the way in which they brought people into the faith. So this is what uh, the church fathers were about. Now, there are those who we call the apostolic fathers, those teachers who lived during the generation of the apostles, or as we've been talking about it in Tuesday evenings, it's immediate aftermath. So most were bishops, and most according to tradition— had some personal relationship with the apostles. For example, St. Clement of Rome was a disciple of St. Peter and St. Paul and was said to be consecrated by Peter himself. St. Polycarp, who we will be discussing predominantly this evening, was a disciple of St. John. And according to one legend, and this is most fascinating, the widely popular St. Ignatius of Antioch, who of course was the first to coin the term Catholic in 105 AD, legend has it, made a cameo appearance in the gospel according to Mark. Some have said that he was the youth on the Mount of Olives who ran away naked. So as I have noted tonight, we will kind of focus in on Polycarp of Smyrna, who for all intents and purposes could be called the most well-connected man in the ancient church. 
As I noted, he was a disciple of St. John the Apostle. At middle age, he was a bishop and colleague of St. Ignatius of Antioch. And as an old man, he was master to the young boy who would grow up to be one St. Irenaeus of Lyon, and some regard him to be one of the greatest teachers, if not the greatest teacher in the early Christian church, alongside St. Augustine, of course. So, by his longevity, St. Polycarp was able to teach many how to live as the apostles had taught him to live. And certainly, by his death, which we'll focus in on tonight, as a martyr at age 86, he taught generations of persecuted Christians after him how to die. Now, because of his connections to the apostles, the great bishop of Smyrna was esteemed by Christians everywhere which in turn, of course, had him a target uh, to the Romans. Of note, on St. Polycarp's return to Smyrna, there was a persecution of Christians, and again, Smyrna is in what is today Turkey. Refusing to worship the emperor, the bishop was condemned and was executed approximately 155 AD. And it is in his persecutors who are first on record as naming St. Polycarp a father, that they derided him as the great teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians. Now, it's fascinating to discover when you go into the history, and again, whatever Christian denomination you belong to, this is your history, and this is why this is so important for all of us. Within months of Polycarp's death, the Church of Smyrna, published an account of his martyrdom as a circular letter to the entire Christian church. This anonymous report launched the literary genre that is known as Acts of the Martyrs. It was the first of its kind, and it was widely reproduced and gave encouragement to many persecuted Christians for many centuries afterward. Remember the great words of Tertullian, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, which paraphrases, the blood of the martyrs is effective Christian seed. Now, as the Acts of Martyrs records, the most admirable Polycarp, when he first heard that he was sought for, was not disturbed, but resolved to remain in the city. However, in deference to the wishes of many, he was persuaded to leave. He departed, therefore, to a country house not far from the city. His pursuers then set out, along with horsemen, as if going out against a robber. About evening, they found him lying down in the upper room of a certain little house, from which he might have escaped, but he refused, saying, The will of God be done. Quasi-agony in the garden, huh? Thy will be done. So when he heard that they had arrived, he went down and spoke with them. And as those that were present marveled at his age and constancy, some of them said, Was so much effort made to capture such a venerable man? Immediately he ordered that something to eat and drink should be set before them, as much as they cared for it, while he asked them to allow him an hour to pray without disturbance. Isn't that fascinating? Always looking out for the other. Now, as soon as he had ceased praying, they set him upon an ass and conducted him into the city. Again, here we are, my friends, during Holy Week, and does not our Lord come into this city on a donkey, on an ass? I mean, the imagery is rich. 
Christ's life being reproduced in the life of this man is so rich, so rich. So he was accompanied by his father, Nicetes. He met him, and taking him up into the chariot, they seated themselves beside him and tried to persuade him, saying, What harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar, and in sacrificing with the other ceremonies observed on such occasions, and so gain safety? At first he gave them no answer, and when they continued to urge him, he said, I shall not do as you advise me. Having no hope of persuading him, they began to speak bitter words to him, and cast him so violently out of the chariot that he dislocated his leg by the fall. But without being disturbed, and as if suffering nothing, he went eagerly forward with all haste, and was conducted to the stadium, where the tumult was so great that there was no possibility of being heard. Now, as Polycarp was entering into the stadium, there came to him a voice from heaven, saying, Be strong, and show thyself a man, Polycarp. No one saw who it was that spoke to him, but those of our brothers who were present heard the voice. And as he was brought forward, the tumult became great when they heard that Polycarp was captured. The proconsul approached and asked him if if he was Polycarp. On his confessing that he was, the proconsul tried to persuade him to deny Christ, saying, Have respect for your old age and swear by the fortunes of Caesar, repent and say, Away with the atheists. But Polycarp, gazing with a stern expression on all the crowd of the wicked heathen then in the stadium, and waving his hand toward them, while with groans he looked up to heaven, said, Away with the atheists. Then the proconsul urged him, Swear, and I will set you at liberty. Reproach Christ, Polycarp declared, Eighty-six years I have served him, and he never did me injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Mm. It's a fascinating thing, my dear friends, to think critically about what he just said. Here he is, suffering greatly. And he says, what? Eighty-six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury? Wow. So, Moving forward, when the proconsul pressed him yet again and said, Swear by the fortune of Caesar, he answered, Since you are so intent that I should swear by the fortune of Caesar, and since you pretend not to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn what the doctrines of Christianity are, point me a day and you shall hear them. The proconsul replied, Persuade the people. But Polycarp said, To you I have thought it right to offer an account of my faith, for we are taught to give all due honor to the powers and authorities ordained of God. But as for these, I do not deem them worthy of receiving any account from me. The proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. To these will I throw you unless you repent. But he answered, Call them then. For we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt what is evil. And it is well for me to be changed from what is evil to what is righteous. I mean, listen to these words, my friends. In the face of absolute persecution, he is absolutely convicted in his faith. So moving. And oh, by the way, what else is going on here? I mean, he is quoting scripture. Let us remember that the Son of God left this world with a crown. 
but a crown that very few people understood. It was the crown given to a king who shows us, as 2 Timothy 4, 7 reminds us in Hebrews 12, 1, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith, to persevere in the race marked out for us, and to finish the course, one that leads to, what did he say? Righteousness, huh? The proconsul continued, If you are not afraid of the wild beasts, I will cause you to be consumed by fire if you will not repent. But Polycarp said, You threaten me with fire that burns for an hour, and after a little is extinguished, but you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring forth what you wish. Mm. The proconsul was astonished and sent his herald to proclaim three times in the midst of the stadium, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. This proclamation having been made by the herald, the whole crowd, both of the heathen and Jews who lived in Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable fury and in a loud voice, This is the great teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, and the destroyer of our gods. He who has been teaching many not to sacrifice or to worship the gods. The multitudes immediately gathered together wood, and when the funeral pile was ready, Polycarp, laying aside all his garments and loosing his girdle, sought also to take off his sandals, something he was not used to doing because every one of the faithful had always been eager to touch his skin. On account of his holy life, he was, even before his martyrdom, adorned with every kind of good. Immediately then they surrounded him with those substances which had been prepared for the funeral pile. But when they were about to fix him with nails, he said, Leave me as I am. For he who gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me, without your securing me by nails, to remain without moving in the pile. They did not nail him then, but simply bound him. And placing his hands behind him, he was bound like a distinguished ram, chosen for sacrifice, and prepared to be an acceptable burnt offering unto God. The stuff of Romans 12, verses 1 to 3, my friends, huh? He then looked up to heaven and said, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels and powers, and every creature, and of the whole race of the righteous who live before you. I give you thanks that you have counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should be counted the number of your martyrs, in the cup of your Christ, to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body through the incorruption given by the Holy Spirit. Among them may I be acceptable this day before you as a rich and acceptable sacrifice, as you, the ever-truthful God, have foreordained, have revealed beforehand to me, and now have fulfilled. I praise you for all things. I bless you. I glorify you, along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, with whom to you and the Holy Spirit be glory now and forever. Amen. When he had pronounced this amen, and so finished his prayer, those who were appointed for the purpose kindled the fire, and as the flame blazed forth in great fury, we beheld a great miracle for the fire, shaping itself into the form of an ark, like the sail of a ship when filled with wind, encircled the body of the martyr, 
and he appeared within not like flesh that is burnt, but as bread that is baked, or as gold and silver glowing in a furnace. Moreover, we smelled a sweet odor, as if frankincense or some other precious spices had been smoking there. When those wicked men saw his body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded an executioner to go near and pierce him through with a dagger. This done, there came forth a dove and a great quantity of blood, so that the fire was extinguished, and all the people wondered that there should be such a difference between the unbelievers and the elect, of whom this most admirable Polycarp was one, having in her own times been an apostolic and prophetic teacher and bishop of the Catholic Church that is in Smyrna. For every word that went out of his mouth either had been or shall yet be accomplished. Wow, what a breathtaking account, huh? When you listen to that account of martyrdom, it echoes another great account of martyrdom that comes to us from the early 2nd century, that of St. Ignatius of Antioch. Listen to his words as he himself faced the same kind of persecution. He says this, Let me become food for the wild beasts, through whose favor it will be granted me to attain to God. I am the wheat of God, so let me be ground by the teeth of the wild beasts that I may be found the pure bread of Christ. Rather, entice the wild beasts, that they may become my tomb and may leave nothing of my body so that when I have fallen asleep in death, I may be no trouble to anyone. Then shall I truly be a disciple of Christ, when the world shall not see so much as my body. Pray to Christ for me, that by these instruments I may be found a sacrifice to God. He continues, I do not, as Peter and Paul, issue commandments unto you. They were apostles. I am but a condemned man. They were free while I am even now a servant. But when I suffer, I shall be the freed man of Jesus and shall rise again emancipated in him. And now, being a prisoner, I learn not to desire anything worldly or vain. From Syria to Rome, I fight with beasts, both by land and sea, by night and day, being bound to a band of soldiers who, even when they receive benefits, show themselves all the worse. But I am the more instructed by their injuries to act as a disciple of Christ, but I am not thereby acquitted. May I enjoy the wild beasts that are prepared for me, and I pray they may be found eager to rush upon me, when I will entice them to devour me speedily, and not deal with me as with some whom, out of fear, they have not touched. But if they be unwilling to assail me, I will compel them to do so." These words from St. Polycarp to St. Ignatius of Antioch should remind us of a certain passage that comes to us from John 12, verses 23 to 24. Listen to our Lord's words. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Hear that word hour, huh? Did not St. Polycarp use that very word, his hour? Jesus continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant be also, 
If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Wow. So what do we have in this passage? As a planted seed must decay before it sprouts new life, so Jesus must endure death to bring us eternal life. This principle also holds true for all disciples who must die to themselves to receive the fullness of life from God and be channels of life to others. In St. Polycarp of Smyrna, and in just a few words that we heard from St. Ignatius of Antioch, do we discover two men who embraced those verses that come to us from John 12, verses 23 to 24, and in so doing, reveal to us the power behind that opening verse we talked about, Colossians 1.24. Because, my dear friends, remember, when Tertullian says the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, when Paul is talking to the Colossians about how our sufferings make up what is lacking in the sufferings of the body of Christ, what we are intended to see is when we intentionally offer our very lives to God, indeed, we bring people to God, And this is what happened with those who were in the presence of the men we talked about this evening, most especially St. Polycarp and certainly St. Ignatius of Antioch. And I dare say, every time you and I, by the grace of God, conforming ourselves to Jesus Christ, most especially in the Eucharist, offer everything that we do to God with the intent that God might use that offering as both a gift and instrument that would unite the church, the family of God, the mystical body of Christ. Indeed, there is a redemptive quality to our suffering. This is what Paul wants us to understand, and all throughout the ages have we been made to see that when people bear witness to the faith of Jesus Christ— it brings people closer to Jesus Christ. And my dear friends, do we not have a contemporary application of this in these 21 Christians from Egypt who were professing the name of Jesus Christ, who were professing the cross? They are telling us to profess the name of Jesus Christ and this Holy Week to lift high the cross. It is a stumbling block for every non-Christian to walk into a Christian church or a Catholic church and to see the cross or to see the corpus on the cross and be reminded of the horror that took place 2,000 years ago and yet at once be reminded of the resurrection, that which I'm sure those 21 Christians experienced. My dear friends, let us take this week to enter more deeply into our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Remembering what St. Paul once said, this one thing I do, this one thing I preach is Christ crucified, that we with our very lives might imitate and echo the likes of a St. Polycarp of Smyrna and St. Ignatius of Antioch. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.